Franks. It seems like each and every week we're, when we're not talking about architecture, we're talking about optimizing code, we're talking about linking away code, we're talking about sealing things, we're talking about <laughs> all sorts of great things uh, in the world of .NET. That's right. I thought you were going to say we always start with one of my libraries, but this week we're not starting with one of my libraries. You said an amazing term there, Cecile. Cecile? Cecil? Cecile? If only we could ask someone. If we could ask someone, because (laughs) I've seen these libraries, I've used the linker for years upon Mm -hmm. years. I never really knew where they came from. Yeah. What mastermind would create such a glorious revelational thing? Me neither. I actually always just knew Mono had a linker. I didn't know where it came from until one day I actually had to use the library itself and I saw the source code. And at the top, there was this guy's name, JV Evane. That comes back from the days where we used to put big timestamps of like when this file was last updated, who did it. The change log. The change log directly in the source code. God, we don't do that. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't want to go too far into it, into the depths, because there is an expert here, Frank. Oh, yeah? Who did we get? Well, so the nice thing is when Microsoft came and asked us, hey, do you want to record some podcasts and do some interviews? We said, okay. Yeah. And then you and I sat down. With a giant question mark, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was, you can have anyone that you want. Mm. Anyone. Mm -hmm. And we said, we want JB. (laughs) That's right. We want JB. So we have JB, uh, Evan. There we go. Uh, he currently runs the Visual Studio tools for Unity Experience on both Visual Studio and Visual Studio for Mac. Uh, I've used many of his products, not only including those, but a whole bunch of other ones that we're going to talk about. Because JB previously worked at Novell and on the Mono team. He worked on all sorts of various parts of the Mono Touch and Mono for Android projects, which you now know as Xamarin, obviously, which we know and love. Uh, he wrote many, many libraries that you may be using and you don't even know that you're using. Chances are you're using all of his libraries. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. JB, thanks yeah. for coming on. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Oh, it's a real pleasure. I've wanted to pick your brain forever. So oh. this is my opportunity. I hope you came prepared. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> where so, to begin? Yeah, where to begin? Well, you know, we recently did an episode on the linker. And I am just curious about... It's funny because everyone's like, oh, talk about new stuff. Talk about this stuff. But... Honestly, when we started talking about the linker, everyone was just like, this is am- like amazing. And I was yeah. like, oh, we set some defaults. But can you maybe just tell the story of like where the linker came from? Yeah, what? yeah of you course. Uh, like if we want to take a step back, I think the first thing is that um, a few, like years ago, I got in- interested in something named aspect-oriented programming. Yes. Uh, using aspect.j uh, on Java. And there was nothing uh, on .NET uh, to do aspect-oriented programming. Uh, we tried a few libraries. We tried uh, techniques where you would uh, run disassembler, mm-hmm. modify IL as text, and run assemblers afterwards. And I'm not sure if it's as uh, popular as a term anymore. Do you mind giving yeah, everyone a really quick overview? Yeah, I think everyone knows <laughs> object-oriented. Yes. That's, that's aspect-oriented programming is... Uh, something that was, yeah, somewhat popular, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like at the beginning of the year 2000. And it's basically the idea of uh, keeping your code clean of any of technical constraints mm. and basically annotating your code or uh, having another way to tell uh, your business logic and add what they call cross-cutting concerns uh, uh. to this code, like logging or transaction. Like you don't want to pollute 
your code with logging. Uh, so why not add, have a mechanism or a way in the language to say, oh, like I am going like to add logging to those methods, like in that library, for instance. Oh, okay. So more than just like an interface that you're implementing to do logging, it's yes. more than that. Yes, that would be, here is my code, and I want to modify this code oh. to do exactly this. Like, okay. like in those classes, all methods should run should run inside a transaction, for instance. Ah, right, Got okay, it. or oh. in a try-catch block, maybe. Mm. Yes, something. for instance, and mm. people uh, in the .NET world has been, like there's a product, for instance, named PostSharp, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. where you add uh, attributes to your code, and PostSharp will modify your mm -hmm. code after compilation uh, to say, oh, like I want to add logging. Oh, this class will implement iNotify property change, and it will yeah. do the wiring for you, for instance. Got it. Uh, so there's a popular so library now, I think, doing it called Fody. And, yeah, yes, exactly. And Fody is using, is, of course, is of your course based library. On Cecil, yes. <laughs> so yeah, like if we take a step back, I started Cecil because there was nothing to read, modify, and write .NET binaries mm -hmm. uh, using a C simple C# -sharp interface. We have to stop for a moment. I'm sorry. Could you give us the official pronunciation in audio form? Oh, here I of said the name? Cecil. 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 Yeah. So no. there's an eel. Okay. Cecil. Yeah, like, we got Mono, it. We got it. Cecile. Yeah. Keeping this. Like, that would be the French. <laughs> <laughs> the, the correct way of doing it. Yeah. Because, yeah, we, I, I'm sure you've heard every sort of pronunciation of it by yeah. now. I always said Cecil. Cecil uh, just Ce rolls off the tongue. Cecil. Yeah. Cecile. Cecil works. Like, <laughs> what did the name come from? I was looking for names that ended yeah. with CIL, like uh, common yeah. intermediate language. Right? Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so, sorry, I interrupted you. You no, were building right. and aspect or A while back. Stuff. Yeah. And... And I was following this uh, very famous character online named Miguel de Caza. Never, oh. never heard of him. And There's a bell. Ding, <laughs> ding. The Miguel bell. We do have one. Ding, ding, ding. And he had a blog. And, and in one blog, he mentioned that uh, there was a need for such a library. Hmm. A linker or Cecil? Or Cecil. Oh, for Cecil. Uh. And I wrote Miguel an email. I said, oh, I started something. Uh, I've always been fond of the Mana project. And I would like nothing more than contribute this library to the model project. Um, Miguel was very excited. Mm. Uh, in those days, Cecil was only used to read assemblies. Uh, just a reader. Just as a reader, okay. uh, the writing part was not implemented. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I was lucky enough to be selected in the very first edition of the Google Summer of Code ah, to okay. do the writing part of Cecil under the model project uh, under Miguel. So this is uh, something Mono's done for a while. They've done the while. Google Summer yes. of Code. It's still yeah. going, and I think every still single year it. it's still yeah, doing it. I think mm -hmm. so. Okay. And for the and Miguel has had this idea that uh, we could take a .NET program, a Mono program, mm -hmm. uh, remove everything that was not necessary, yeah. make a native <laughs> program out of it, uh, and uh, I goal? continued my involvement with the Mono project. And for my second summer. Uh, where I yeah, had free time to flip bits instead of burgers. <laughs> uh, I started the monolinker as part of my uh, second run in the Summer of Code. Yeah. Now, was, was that like a project that during the Summer of Code, they go, oh, we really need, we have a need to link away and remove code? Or was it something that just came from your head? No, like this particular project, I think, was from Miguel. Okay. Oh, okay. So Miguel's uh, like, I need this. Yes, I thing. need this. Like, this is one of the projects, uh, and I applied. Uh, because obviously it would use CCL and like mm -hmm. it was a natural yeah. like next yeah. step 
Was there a lot of pressure? Were they like, we need a linker at the end of this project? Or was it, you can fail? No, like, <laughs> no the daily variable uh, for mm-hmm. the product to be successful was yeah. to be able to, like, to link like a Hello World application uh, it was running on Mono. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we did that, and that was quite something. Now, at that time, how... How old were you during that time? Like, were you... I think it's 2006, so uh-huh. I was 23. 2006. Six. Wow. So about 12 years ago? Yeah. Yeah, so you're pretty... Don't say that stuff. That's wrong. 12. <laughs> that just makes us feel old, dude. Yeah, well, I was, I was thinking, true. so I was finishing high school. No, uh, <laughs> I was it. in my first year of college. Um, so, well, during that time, though, I mean, all of Mono was still relatively new right 2002 was. Was, was old right 2001 what? when did it come out like i think the, like the first like public bits was were 2001 i yeah. think 2002 yeah so you wrote this linker is it still the same linker that we use today or like pretty much yeah it's <laughs> a, it's a core of it. it was so good from 2006 <laughs> <laughs> nothing needed to like, one of yeah. the good thing one of the good idea i had like in that time it was to make it uh like pluggable like at the core of a linker is a very simple architecture of a pipeline of steps that you apply to a context of assemblies. And the way uh, I imagined the linker at the beginning was a simple mark and sweep uh, algorithm for code. So we had a step to like load assemblies uh, that we wanted to work on to get entry points or routes uh, to start with. Like if you're going to uh, link a program, you probably want to start with a main method and work from there, uh, which is exactly what the algorithm did. Like, work, like you start with main and you see all the methods that main calls and you go into them and you start collecting them. And at the end of the process, remove everything that is not marked and go from there. It seems um, so easy. It, it <laughs> seems, right? And done and that done. That was a, a series of steps and uh, for instance, down the line, when we wanted to link uh, monotouch applications, mm-hmm. uh, well, we realized that some methods in uh, monotouch you could not remove. So we added like a custom preserve attribute. Yeah. So we simply added the steps to the linker to say, oh, if you find a type with this preserve attribute, just mark everything. So that came out of the Xamarin need, that preserve attribute. I think it's been pretty well adopted in a lot of new yeah. nowadays. Um, yeah, pretty much. Back yeah. in the day, it was monotouch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> As the progression's kind of funny there. So um, when you first wrote the linker, how were you solving the we don't want to link something step? Was that, did you start with that XML file that we talk about these days? You write that XML yeah, file? Like, or? <laughs> we wanted to like link libraries as well. Yeah. Uh, so you had to find a way to like define like the roots of the programs that you wanted to uh, to keep mm-hmm. and XML back in the days was everything so why not invent another XML <laughs> format <laughs> and you know what it's actually funny this is one of the things that I will because code never dies really it right? turns out so we have a step in the linker which I think is blacklist step that's yeah. the name of it I, I know this one but All remind right. me what it does well, it's actually a whitelist, Frank. Yes. <laughs> is this the one that scans for the XML file in yes. assemblies? Like, it's the base oh, yeah. uh, type for something that will add roots to mm-hmm. the algorithm. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, blacklist is actually a whitelist. Um, yep. <laughs> names. Names, exactly. They're hard. <laughs> I was always yeah. confused by that. Whenever I read the documentation, I look at it, I was like, 
this what I want to keep? Is this I what know. I want to remove? Yes, exactly. It's, it's so funny because when you're reading the documentation, it seems obvious. Yeah, I'll put that attribute, that yeah. attribute. But when it comes down to writing that XML file, you turn yeah. into kind of a dummy. <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> it, it's our problem. <laughs> well, it, and a lot of this came about because uh, I was recently working on the Xamarin Essentials project. I don't know if you're aware of it all, but what we did is we abstracted 26 platform-specific APIs into a single API. The first question I got was uh, from some MVPs was, isn't this going to bloat my app size? Mm-hmm. What if I want one? I go, no, the linker. And I did some optimizations on it. And, uh, you know, I just used like dot peak to just look at the mm-hmm. IL the assembly. And I was like, yeah, look at that. Nothing's in there. Just yeah. like it's gone. It always blows my mind. And, and, and I cannot take credit for everything. I mean, sure. after um, Miguel and folks went on to create Xamarin. Uh, they improved the linker a lot. They added custom yeah. steps, custom optimization, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is a form of dead code optimization uh, where it will assume the value of some public static field, like okay. a platform. Yeah. So if you're in your code, you're writing if platform equal equal platform win32, mm-hmm. then do this, else do that. Oh, it's smart. That's and the clever. linker will find the if wow. and assumes the value of platform and basically removes the code uh, for Win32 if, you're, if it knows that mm-hmm. down the line the program will only run on the Mac. And that's something they added over at Xamarin. This is interesting because this is the root of the advice I once got of even if you don't link away anything, still run the linker because it turns out it's doing these other optimizations yes. and cutting some code out. So that's good to know there. Yeah, it's sort of a when people are compiling their code, the compiler is doing a whole bunch of compilation to optimize some code and doing some tricks and things in there and mm-hmm. that's what the linker is then applying on top of it even higher more even, aggressively yeah, it seems yeah, yes. <laughs> with a big hammer <laughs> yeah, sometimes yeah. i remember sorry i remember in the early days of xamarin um parts of the ms core lib the bcl were being rewritten to be a little more linker friendly were you ever a part of that work we did some work uh like when you start linking the, the ms core lib which is like the base assembly where everything is defined mm-hmm. Like hard. <laughs> it's hard. Like, <laughs> like, you know, you're writing like Hello World and you're thinking it, it, it will take program, it yeah. will take console, yeah. console write line. And that's all it needs, right? <laughs> yeah. And you run the linker like in debug mode and you see everything that it ends up spooling. <laughs> and it's huge, like everything related to like cultures, formatting, uh, like console. Some metadata, I'm sure. Networking, yeah. every, everything, anything. <laughs> like encoding, everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we did some work to, well, try to remove uh, yeah. like some pieces to make it more linker friendly. Mm-hmm. And I think it's actually one of the challenges that uh, Xamarin is going to face now. Now that they're getting a large chunk of their BCL uh, from CoreFX. Yeah. Um, that was going to be my follow-up. Um, so do you know if uh, .NET Core has been following that same pattern? Because I know they had the .NET Native initiative that had its own linker. And they were trying yeah. to do the thing where everything had a separate assembly. Just pick and choose what you want. Yeah, yeah. Did, I think they called it the tree shaker, which uh, is which that's is where that term as well. came from. I always like to say the linker. You look at a beautiful tree, <laughs> and there's some good apples and some bad apples. Those, <laughs> those, those apples that you're using are your APIs that are in your code. You shake that tree vigorously. Like, you're real mad at the yeah. tree for some reason. You're just real mad and real aggressive. You shake and all those dead little APIs fall off. Mm-hmm. Just like those and rotten apples. apples. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I don't know what, uh, 
what the status is with that. Uh, what I know is that, uh, and I've helped them a bit, uh, a team, uh, or a few people over in the .NET team uh, mm-hmm. actually integrated the monolinker oh, did uh, they? <laughs> yeah. in the .NET command line. Uh, so as an extension, you could install like the monolinker for .NET. Well, uh, I didn't know this. This yeah. so news to me. It's a new hotness. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. So they definitely have an incentive to make mm-hmm. their BCL uh, more linker friendly. If yeah. they're going to use the monolinker in the app. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, I always preferred the linker solution over the multiple assembly solution. I think it's just I'm fundamentally lazy. So if I could say import the entire world into my app. Yes, and just pick what I need. Just give me all of NuGet. Don't even make <laughs> me pick packages. If I use the namespace, then get that package. Yeah, get that Indexed package by the it. namespace. Yeah. <laughs> I always like to call you know, C Sharp and .NET just the dot, dot do it language. You say <laughs> this dot whatever and just do that stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah. System dot. Yeah. Find it. <laughs> yeah, be smart enough. I mean, we have the most amazing tools on the planet. So, all right. So you, you made Cecile. You made the linker. What brought you to Microsoft now? Like, what was that journey? Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like, because we said you're you know, at Novell and Mono, like, what, what is no, that? It, it, it's actually, like, very much in the continuity. This week's episode of Merge Conflicts is brought to you by BitRise. BitRise is a continuous integration and continuous delivery service for any mobile app. They support building and deploying iOS, Android, Xamarin, or any hybrid application. They have more than 170 open source libraries that you can put into your customized workflows for building and deploying your apps. This means you can do things such as bump version numbers, sign and build your applications, and of course, send them directly to Google Play or to TestFlight. What's great is that they automatically will detect your platform, configuration, and set up the build, test, and deployment in minutes. They also deeply integrate into iOS or Android. So, for instance, they have automatic provisioning profile management for iOS and Xcode caching to decrease your build time by more than 60%. Better yet, they have great virtual device testing and integration into Firebase Test Lab. That way you can run your applications on emulators quickly and reliably. To learn more, simply go to bitrise.io. That is bitrise.io. And thanks to Bitrise for sponsoring this episode of Merge Conflict. Uh, back when we were at Novell with Miguel, uh, one of our biggest users, if I may say, uh, was a small company named Unity, <laughs> Unity Technologies. And like, it's funny when you look back, but it was just a few people working out what seemed to be a garage. Uh, and they and there's this game creation tool for macOS only. Just Mac. I didn't just know Mac. that. I, know they, that yeah. I always Mac. think of them as the cross-platform development. Back thing. in the day, it was a tool to create games for the Mac. Hmm. So what did you think of them? I just have to, it's curious. Did you see it as just, oh, yet another .NET game engine? Why aren't you using XNA? Or were you like, this is something interesting here? Just curious. <laughs> no, like for us, it was a very, uh, it, it was the biggest, uh, like, outside user. Yes. Uh, of mono. Of mono. Yeah. And okay. back in the days, we were very proud of uh, like having like startups and customers <laughs> users, and users yeah. uh, use mono. Yeah. It's that, a, it's that first time when you release a NuGet package and you come back the next day and you're like, 
there's a hundred downloads. Like how did this happen? <laughs> yeah. Someone is using exactly. this. But yeah. multiply that. We wrote a runtime. Uh-huh. We wrote a library. We wrote a compiler. It must be nice for people to use. It. Yeah. <laughs> and they were ambitious and they were friendly. And yeah. we watched them grow, basically. And then the iPhone came out. And Unity was one of the first tool to make it easy to publish for the iPhone. That was smart, huh? Just that it was, was one click. It was, it was such that a was brilliant the, move. That was like the perfect opportunity like when <laughs> like yeah, yeah when opportunity meets uh like preparation yeah right? like that's the right tool because at the right time they had know, the editor they, they had, had the, the editor engine. they had the engine mm-hmm. and the rest they didn't is, have a debugger though <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> and the rest is history right yeah like unity nowadays i think it's more than thousand people every like, ios app is written in it right 99.99 percent <laughs> i'm not privy of the numbers but <laughs> yeah i know like it's, i know that it's huge like yeah they support more like more than 30 platforms or well, something it's nice it lets you focus on the game you're not fiddling exactly. around with the low level stuff that we've all written i love writing game engines personally but yeah there's so much redundancy i've written the same ray triangle intersection algorithm eight million times i can write it verbatim <laughs> and there is an interpopulation of people that would like to that are creative that would like to create games exactly. but are not necessarily saving mm-hmm. like or that don't really want to write code yeah and unity helps them do that uh, and i've been using it personally just for vr they made vr so easy, so easy with it yeah. you just plug your oculus in or I'm sure and i mean it's yeah. so huge nowadays that uh instead of them supporting like new platforms mm-hmm. like new platforms come to them Mm-hmm. to make sure that like <laughs> unity will support their platform yeah so the um, editor i find um just these vr things i'm not even writing games i'm just making little sandboxes for myself to play in but the editor is so good you can just quickly create it's these crazy. little sandboxes like, one of the things that like brought me to unity and i and i keep saying this is that if i had unity like back when i was 15 mm. like i would have lived inside this tool I know it. Like, I would have created worlds. I think I would, I would be have... a movie director. I wouldn't even be making... I'd be doing cinematic experiences in it. It'd be great. All that. I know. And mm-hmm. uh, it's funny that you mentioned that. It's actually one of the market or direction that Unity is taking nowadays. Ah. I think there are no... The next Pixar prevalent. is coming. <laughs> yeah, there are no prevalent for, like, for games. Mm-hmm. And they recently hired a bunch of uh, super talented people from the movie industry, mm-hmm. like from the camera industry, yeah. uh, to work inside Unity. And like if you've seen, I, I don't know the details, but I know that Unity was used, for instance, in the last Blade Runner. Mm. Oh. That's awesome. In fact, <laughs> I know that um, the, I forget what the gentleman names it, who did uh, District District 9. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, uh, he has his own studio, and they were yes. using Unity for a bunch exactly. of the things. And I was, is I was previs. Is this like on set? What are, what are they doing? I have. It's a Who combination <laughs> of everything. I don't really know. It's amazing. So were you always? I love in, Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, were you always into games though? Because I know I, I started my background writing Xbox 360 games. We talked. I, I did pre. I was pre XNA, so we wrote our own C plus plus engine. Wow. I was a tools editor, so I fell wow. in love with. C-sharp on the desktop, writing particle tools and things like that. I mean, I fell in love you with writing. You were the particle editor? You I was that? In, <laughs> in the credits on my, on my, on my giant bomb account. You nice. can see James Montemagno, uh, a <laughs> tool developer. But I got started with like, command line adventures and yeah. text adventures. I mean, I've, is this what interested you in Unity a bit or no? No, I've always played video games. Yeah. Uh, but uh, professionally at art, uh, at heart, I, I like mm-hmm. developer tools. 
Yeah. Uh, and like mono, uh, I was working mono. I saw Unity grew, uh, grow, and uh, and yeah, one of the good ideas that uh, Unity had was uh, rely on mono .dot net mm -hmm. the .dot ecosystem C sharp for the scripting language, uh, and what's the best idea to write uh, C sharp in .dot net code? Well, turns out Visual Studio and. <laughs> When Miguel went on to create uh, Xamarin, I went on to create a small company named Syntaxtree, and we did a product named Unity VS, which was basically bridging Unity and Visual Studio. Because you, you, you said the problem really is they have their own, it's like their own editor, correct? It's not yes. an IDE. Well, people use IDE, it, but they call it the it's Unity not a good editor. IDE. It's a good 3D editor. It's a good 3D editor. <laughs> it's where you see your scene where you can modify everything uh, with just a click, like you can inspect things, and it's mm -hmm. a very iterative process. Uh, you add new scripts, you drag and drop textures, model inside the editor, you mm -hmm. see them. Instead of having this more traditional uh, development like cycle or loop for a game developer where you start with your main method ah. and you recompile and you test your game. Black screen. <laughs> yeah. Unity like reversed that. Mm -hmm. Like you had your game, you played your game and you started adding to it. Uh, UI first development. UI first development. <laughs> and uh, I know Frank that you wrote like continuous and it's kind of continuous for yeah. or like a live game editor. Mm -hmm. You just add C sharp. Unity will see that you modify C sharp, will recompile your code We'll swipe it uh, under the hood, mm -hmm. and you're just running your new code in your game. I think from the, um, I have a little experience with IDEs and making them work. The thing that scares me about that is you can put scripts everywhere on every object, dynamically yes. created, showing up. I don't know, can you create dynamic scripts? Is that even allowed? But um, if you give it a, Maybe. who knows? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> probably. <laughs> it's just amazing that you can just attach little snippets of code to a million different objects. Yeah. So when we get into the exercise of... Um, Maybe the iterative's not working enough and you want a proper old debugger. You want to actually inspect some variables or something. That had to be a hard problem or was that easy? I'm just curious, getting a wrangling in that monstrosity of an object graph. <laughs> no, I mean, some people seem to manage just fine. Like, you have this ability, like, from inside the editor, like, you have a script and you're wondering, like, what does it apply to? And, <laughs> like, you can t say Unity, oh, like, please highlight everywhere in the scene where this is applied to, and you oh, would see it. The tool's good. Yeah, <laughs> it, it is very good. So what did uh, Unity VS bring into the mix, and like, how has that evolved? So we would bridge uh, Visual Studio with Unity, basically, that's the short story. Uh, like Unity would always like generate a solution, uh, a Visual Studio solution and a set of projects that would represent what Unity was doing. Okay, they did uh, that for you, that was... Uh, at the beginning, in. they did that for you, mm -hmm. uh, but you could not debug. Right. Uh, and it was a very, like, straightforward uh, generation of the project. There was nothing specific to Unity on top of it. Mm. Um, so at the beginning, what we did is that we simply complemented that. We had our own project generation uh, where we would do things in a way that, uh, to make it more familiar to .NET developers, like in the project structure, in the naming. Oh, nice. Um, Trying to get some organization to that wild yes, world. Yes, you know, <laughs> and try to appeal more to the people that are more uh, that are coming from a .NET and Visual Studio mm -hmm. background first instead of coming from Unity. Yeah. Uh, and we implemented the Visual Studio debugger that would talk to the mono uh, self-debugger protocol uh, mm -hmm. which is not 
when you write a Unity game, you're eventually running your game on top of Mono, right? And there was no Mono debugger until Visual Studio at that time. Uh, so we had to write one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that would, and on top of that, we added a few productivity features that were specific to Unity developers, like the ability to view your project uh, in Visual Studio the same way that you would see it from Unity. Like Unity and Visual Studio have a very different concept of what <laughs> yeah. a project is. As far as Unity is concerned, a project is a folder with mm-hmm. subfolders and scripts for them, just a C-sharp files, are going to be compiled actually depending on the name of the folder. Mm. Uh, yeah. Which is Some very... convention stuff. Convention <laughs> style. based on conventions, uh, which is not the way uh, like .NET developers <laughs> work usually. So basically, we would try to bridge those two worlds. Interesting. Uh, yeah. And make it as easy as like launching Visual Studio, opening the project, pressing a 5 mm-hmm. and we would attach the debugger. You would put a breakpoint, and if your game was running inside the Unity editor, your breakpoint would hit, and you would see like in the code uh, what yeah. was happening. Awesome. I, I have to ask, when you're integrating with something so tightly, you obviously have to put a lot of work in up front to get it working. What I worry about is, do you have to do that amount of work every year? Has Unity been kind to you? Have they been pretty stable for you? Yes. Okay, uh, good. <laughs> we've been lucky, and we have a good, uh, we have a great relationship with uh, Unity engineers mm-hmm. uh, on the scripting team, especially where uh, a lot of them even like knew each other from working on Mono <laughs> back yeah, then. Yeah, great. Yeah, um, small community. And uh, and it's actually both uh, good and bad, but Unity has been staying on the same mono version for a long time. Mm. Uh, so for us, it was a, st- a stable target. Yeah. <laughs> so it didn't yeah. change that much. So they had a version of mono. They're like, this is this is our baseline. Yes. We're comfortable. We're good. Works well. <laughs> so, so that means for you, it's like, life's good, life's good, life's good. <laughs> yes. But has that changed at all? Or? <laughs> yes. It has, recently, it has recently changed. Because I feel like as developers, we always want more. We always want exactly. more. So, so was, I actually think yeah. it went a little too long. Mm. Uh, but you can imagine going from uh, all those years with the same like scripting runtime, yeah. like the risk of upgrading like, and the idea of potentially breaking like mm-hmm. users uh, yeah. because it's such... Uh, under the hood, drastic change, like swapping the the runtime, the runtime <laughs> to the real version, because yeah. upgraded to a mono two six something, oh. which was released in the and we're up to like five ten or five eleven yes. or something. <laughs> so what it means is that for Unity developers, uh, they're switching from an engine uh, that ran the, in terms of APIs, the equivalent of .NET three five, mm. uh, with the, the equivalent of C sharp four in terms okay. of language to something which, in terms of API, is close to .NET 4.7 yes. uh, and using C Sharp 6 for now. Oh. Yeah, awesome. So back then, there, the generics were there. That was the we had generics. That was 2.0. Link, yeah. Link, had, yeah, Link, Link was yeah. in there. Okay. But not tasks, right? Not tasks. No tasks. No tasks. <laughs> okay. Hmm, yeah, that's a little tasks. rough. So they got yeah. upgraded. What was the library story for Unity? Were they using NuGet packages, or did they have their own store? No, they have their own store. Mm. Okay. Uh, Binaries, it, source code, all the above. You could simply ship a bunch of C-sharp files and uh-huh. call it an asset. Uh-huh. Uh, so Unity has this asset store, and it's actually super nice. Uh, if, like me, you have no 
talent for art <laughs> whatsoever. Like everyone sitting at this table, <laughs> that's what we're trying to say. Huh? Well, you can go on the asset store and get a bunch of free assets for 3D models, sounds, textures, uh, or if you can pay for them, you have access to actually very high quality assets on Unity's asset store, mm-hmm. like buying music, a few models, and you get to at least create your game using nicer assets that yeah. you would create that I would create in paint. Exactly. And I was surprised at the variety too. It's effects, it's sounds, it's algorithms, it's, it's everything on it's there. A, like shaders. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But now they will be able to use NuGet because they'll be on .NET standards so we can finally yeah. share code with them. So does that too. mean that there's a, a better sh- code sharing story? Like if I'm creating like a, like I think of the scenario of, uh, I've done this before where there's a game that's built in Unity, but I'm building a native mobile companion app. This is very wow. popular. Yes. I know Halo had it, Assassin's Creed, things like very that. Much. Uh, and I'm doing like so I can browse my achievements. So is there a world now today that our Unity developers and even Xamarin developers can share code? Is, is that a thing? Is that I a reality? I can finally say yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been something we've been longing for, basically. But um, Unity's latest release, uh, 18.1, uh, removed the .NET 4 uh, 7 uh, support out of beta and they have two profiles that you can compile against. The first one is the full .NET desktop API with Mm -hmm. everything in 4.7. Sounds wonderful. Yes. (laughs) And the other one is .NET Standard 2. Oh, okay. So the desktop's much bigger than it was yes, worth the Yes, very much. Okay. Yes. And if you're only, because uh, a lot of games, if they're only being shipped on Windows. desktop, Windows, or maybe even Mac, I guess, technically, because yes. full mono on Mac, uh, then I, I see that all the time. In fact, I see a lot of games nowadays are really like PC, Mac, Switch. That's the new hottest. <laughs> yeah, so. Or games that you want to write for iOS, Android, uh, and you want like a companion application uh, on UWP, on, on iOS. It's the idea of being able to share a library for yeah. like this base code that you can share like is great. Uh, and that is something that you'd be able to achieve through .NET Center 2. Mm. So how would that work, especially from the Visual Studio tools for Unity? Like, do I have my Xamarin project and my Unity project side by side? Or what would that structure look like? Is it just linking files? or Like you could, but uh, again, like Unity likes to do things its own way. Yeah. Uh, and the way to consume a library for Unity developers is to simply take a binary and put it in this project. I like, like how simple that is. <laughs> there, there is no concept of referencing oh, uh, no. No a .NET project. <laughs> like it. So you would like get from Nugget or another way, your .NET standard library, mm-hmm. you would in the Unity editor say, oh, this project targets mm. uh, the new .NET runtime and mm-hmm. compiles against .NET standard 2.0 API. Ah. And at that point, uh, when you write a script inside Unity, you you would have access to your .NET standard library. Oh, that's right. And maybe yeah. I need to start writing uh, some games. Some well, no, just some anyone even. So this is kind of cool because now me as a library creator, I am an app creator, but I do create a lot of libraries, especially for mobile. Yeah. In general, I could start to create some of these libraries and ship them, like math or a whole bunch of other things that yeah. I've done, yeah. just helpers, and ship them into the asset store so for me yes. as a developer I can be like oh ship it here ship it there and you can sell and stuff and put a $5 in price tag on yeah, it and you can even sell stuff on the asset store <laughs> and some amazing. people made fortunes on the asset store mm. uh, the artists 
Are the artists yeah. getting paid or is it the programmers? <laughs> I, I think both. Like they are yeah. uh, like artists sending like like very beautiful scenes. Yeah. And some scripts were very popular. And if you're more into like programming tools, mm-hmm. like people have written like a the... visual editor for shaders, for instance, right. that was very popular. I've seen or... geometry geometry generators you yeah. get a rough idea of I, I need a castle with some rooms and it's yep. like castle with just rooms. generate me a castle <laughs> yeah. yeah uh just to clear up one thing for me uh unity tools are, are shipped in the box with all the visual studios nowadays yes okay uh, since visual 2017 so visual studio 2017 has this concept of workloads basically a yeah. scenario you're interested in and we made unity a first party workload so from yeah. the installer you can select Oh, I want to write Unity games and that's it. Mm-hmm. And the installer will pull the bare minimum from Visual Studio, mm-hmm. so which is less, around a gig. Wow. So that you have <laughs> just what you need yeah. to write Love and it. debug your Unity game with Visual ah, Studio. That's really nice. So really lightweight. So it's, it's just boom. And now I'm just only creating Write Unity. the game? Do I have to download Unity 2 or not? You, you would have to download okay, Unity 2. Wow, okay. Well, you can do it from the Visual Studio installer. Yeah. And if you're coming oh. from Unity first, nice. Unity's installer will, on Windows, offer to co-install yep. Visual Studio 2017 community mm-hmm. for you. Ah. And so it works in Community Edition, Free Edition. Yes. Oh, nice. Awesome. And since... Uh, like the recent Unity release, uh, 18.1, on Mac, they're going to co-install Visual Studio for Mac as well. Uh, mm-hmm. And That was going to be my next question. What is the Mac story? <laughs> it's uh, pretty much the same as on Windows. Perfect. Uh, Unity has been a supported scenario of Visual Studio for Mac uh, since we actually first shipped at Build last year. Oh, okay. <laughs> nice. And Unity was the first party supported scenario. We still are. So um, that was Mac first. No, no, <laughs> no. What am I saying? You had your company forever. Yes, <laughs> Windows. But uh, yeah, we had we have support for Visual Studio for Mac, uh, and the way we did things is that we basically share uh, a core of the tools for Unity that mm-hmm. work the same on Windows and on Mac, yeah. and we have a few specific things that are for Windows and for Mac, mm-hmm. uh, but we are able to share a fair amount of the integration, uh, making it easy to. For instance, uh, we just shipped uh, Visual Studio 2017 15.7 at build. Uh, and one of the features that we added was the ability to debug Android players over USB oh. uh, for Unity. And that is shared between Unity, between Windows and Mac. Oh, cool. And the player is what they call kind of their runtime, I guess, or yeah, whatever like, is making the like game what actually we call go. A, play, <laughs> a Unity player is, the way it works, you work from inside this Unity editor. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very theoretical. You try it. And when you're satisfied enough, you export a player to a target platform, mm-hmm. be it iOS, Android, UWP, or any of the Fantastic. 20-something platform so that Unity you've supports. Even baked it, you yeah. can still debug it. You can okay. still debug it. Nice. Yes. Uh. Yeah. I love that soft debugger. I recently got to yeah. use it myself. Are you using the Mono soft debugger? We still? are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What a, another good piece of software that just makes it around everywhere. <laughs> yes. It's super nice. That's. Do you have any more follow-up uh, Unity questions? I don't think so. I think, you know, we were doing a lot of interviews up and around at Build, and we sat down, Frank and I, we put our Nugans together. Uh, and by Nugans, I mean our Noggins. <laughs> okay. Uh, and well, one thing I'm sure that are going to interest you both, and if you want to get in touch with some Unity people, I think they would love to be interviewed as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, Unity is working on this Burst compiler. Burst compiler? Yeah, they okay. call it the Burst C-Sharp compiler, and I'm sure 
What, what are we what are we bursting yeah. in this compiler? What are we bursting? <laughs> so it basically took a, C, a subset of C sharp uh-huh. where you only work with value types. You have no visual methods. Also known as C. <laughs> and uh, and they have an optimizer for it and they will compile this. Ah. And one of the nice things that they added to this compiler is that it has the ability to recognize like math formulas. It's an auto-vectorizing compiler then? Some. And it yeah. can also optimize like trigonometric like formulas. Oh, and it has the ability to where you can tell the compiler to optimize for certain precision. So say you're writing like your particle simulator and you don't need the full precision yeah, of a flow. It's just well, some you can, wire. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you can tell the compiler to optimize this piece of uh-huh. code. Uh, more Maybe round off that cosine. Yeah, no, exactly. That's not exactly cosine. <laughs> and they're doing this entire work where they're actually going from a model where uh-huh. you had this native 3D engine. Yeah. And, and they're moving to a model where a lot of the engine itself is exposed to C-sharp. Uh, they're writing a job system that makes it easy to write code that runs in parallel. Wow. Uh, they have a, an entity component system that makes it easy to define the flow of your data, mostly floating vectors. Yeah. <laughs> and this is just and to remove the redundant computations that you're doing over yes. and over. Let's, let's do the data flow model, then we know exactly yes. what we need to update. And in the end, they're going to compile this with their own specific compiler. And yeah. what you get <laughs> is a very performant code yeah. that you wrote in C-sharp using <laughs> excellent tooling for refactoring, mm-hmm. for debugging. For debugging, <laughs> exactly. I love those code optimizations. I mean, that's, that's what it's all about. At well, the end of the day, you want to make... promise us. Remember C++? Like, we'll optimize this. And like, C++ is an excellent optimizing compiler, but it doesn't... This numeric thing I find hilarious because... These general purpose languages, are we doing a scientific experiment or are we making fire in a game? <laughs> We're making fire in a game. Yeah. Well, it doesn't have to be so precise. Exactly. <laughs> I yeah, if I had a suggestion, there would be yeah. great guys to interview. That'd be yeah. great, yeah. yeah. All right, so JB... We were asking all of our guests always that come on the show a single question. We sent it to you earlier so you could could think about it a little bit. But what library or project out there in the world is not getting enough attention uh, that you think it should? And why do you love it? All right. So I'm going to say Jint. Jint? Do you know Jint? Jint. I know. Jint. It sounds like a lint. It is not. Okay. I would think it was like a Java lint. Yeah. It's a .NET JavaScript interpreter. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, down this rabbit hole. Okay, so um, it's an IL down. interpreter written in JavaScript? It, no, it's no. a JavaScript interpreter written, written in C-sharp. <laughs> <laughs> so we can, have, uh, we can host JavaScript engines exactly. in our Exactly. So, awesome. for instance, I think it's using RavenDB. Mm-hmm. So you have a the big data. application. Uh, you need to find an easy way to expose like scripting uh-huh. and these days everyone knows JavaScript yeah so what about using Jint to evaluate JavaScript in your .NET program JavaScript interpreter and yeah. it uses reflection to bind into your model yes. all that good stuff yeah and you I'm can call .NET this APIs every app I have <laughs> <laughs> uh, does it work on iOS does it use reflection emit don't think it chooses reflection <laughs> emit. Oh. Yeah. There has been a lot of optimizations around even emit to get a lot oh, more I working. Know, I know. They're working to make it awesome. So, yeah. so awesome. That's that awesome. is exciting. 
I um, ever since the early scripting days, like on Mac, you could have Apple Script integration, but that's mm-hmm. not really in vogue anymore. In the old days, if you spent a lot of time with a .NET thing, you can make a COM object model, then you could have JavaScript scripting. Yep. So this is so much better. Of just you don't have Very to do much. anything; just put the library yep. in. <laughs> or even like you could think of like. Like you could have like configuration files. Oh yeah. For with a little the, bit of logic in them. With a little bit of logic. <laughs> That's actually uh. how I first like used it. Yeah. Like, I wanted like a configuration file with some logic uh, related to date. Yeah. Why not run JavaScript? I like that. That's I really love cool. It. Great See? one. That's why we ask that question because we're always finding new libraries that we're going to go integrate into our apps. Jinch. Well, JB, thank you for coming out. Where can people find you on the internet? On Twitter, uh, J-B-E-V-A-I-M. Uh, and it's the same on GitHub. And I think it's pretty much the same everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it simple. Well, yeah. JB, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you uh, for having me. I had yeah. a great time. Absolutely. Frank? I've made a whole career out of your libraries, so I just want to <laughs> thank you for that, for giving me a job. So I really appreciate it. <laughs> it was wonderful well, to have you on. <laughs> I'm honored. Thank you. Well, that's going to do it for this week's Emerge Conflict. You can find us everywhere on the internet, just like JB event everywhere, Merge Conflict FM everywhere on the internet. If you want to reach out to JB, we'll put all of his links to Twitter and GitHub and all the things that he talked about today in the show notes below. Of course, you can contact us uh, at mergeconflict.fm and all the wonderful things on the internet. If you're using Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. We'd love it. And I think that's going to do it because Frank's laughing at me. So until next time. This I always roll my eyes during this part and you just didn't know it. Exactly. Oh, as I, I can't see it from the other side of the mic. Well, until next time, there's been another Merge Conflict. I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Kruger. Thanks for listening. Peace. Peace.